Hello, curiosity seekers and adventurous thinkers. Welcome to Applied Curiosity Lab Radio, the podcast for the relentlessly curious. This season, our host and Applied Curiosity Lab's chief curiosity seeker, Becky Saltzman, will be sharing the studio with ACL's chief experience producer and favorite sister, Jennifer Felberg. The lens is, and always will be, curiosity. Each week, fun informal conversations center around one delectable curiosity bite, designed to give your brain the time and ideas to think about thinking, to flex your curiosity muscle, and maybe even revolutionize the way you think. A few years ago, I saw these amazing boots in the Harley Davidson store. They were motorcycle boots. And it got me thinking about the fact that I have no clue how to ride a motorcycle, not even a theoretical, like how do you do your feet and the buttons? I didn't know that there were gears that you shipped up or down with your feet. I knew nothing. A Vespa, I'd ridden a Vespa and a scooter, but a motorcycle. So I suggested to Stephen that we take motorcycle lessons. Now, he's going to argue and say it was his idea because once I did come up with this idea, he just ran with it. You know how he gets all those magazines mm-hmm. all the time. Yes, absolutely. And had all these magazines, and he was thinking that he was going to get a motorcycle. And Stephen does a lot of things really, really well. But driving... Especially reading magazines. Magazines. (laughs) He does. He reads magazines well. But driving is not his top in the top 10. So I was a little worried about the motorcycle, but I thought, okay, let's just take lessons and don't go overboard. All I want is a pair of boots. I have no intention of getting a motorcycle. But I wanted to be more capable of doing something that I hadn't been capable of. So we took motorcycle lessons. And suffice it to say, Stephen scored the top score in the written exam. But that wasn't really enough to pass the motorcycle riding course. And we thankfully did not end up with Stephen getting a motorcycle. (laughs) I found a pair of cute boots. I didn't get those motorcycle boots. But now I feel like I'm more capable of understanding if I was ever in a situation where someone, I had to pick up a motorcycle and drive a motorcycle, I would at least know what it was. And I think about how we think about setting goals for our capabilities. And that leads me to the curiosity bite. Drum roll, please. Drum roll, please. What are you more capable of than you were a year ago? I had made a conscious decision to be more capable of something this year than last year. And I think I accomplished it. And I'm really proud of myself. Why did you make that decision? I decided to volunteer for Ginger's high school speech and debate team. I really loved the coach. I was going to go there and I wanted to learn about debate, the ins and outs of debate, the strategy, how Mm. to judge, Mm. because I had judged before, but I was considered what they call a lay leader and people don't like lay leaders. And I wanted to be knowledgeable. So I decided to volunteer. Lo and behold, the coach moved to Tempe, Arizona. And I became the head coach. So I had to learn everything about speech and debate, but primarily debate because I already had a kind of a good knowledge of speech. And now I'm actually going to Dallas to judge the National Speech and Debate Tournament. And I have learned so much. I've learned everything about it, all the lingo. And I'm no longer a lay leader. So I'm much more capable of that. What's the most interesting thing that you have learned as a debate coach or in judging debate that you would think would be applicable to our current 
inability to have elegant discourse and elegant debating? Is there any one or two little tidbits? I know that that has nothing to do with the capability question, but I'm curious what kind of takeaway or a couple of nuggets that you can share that you've learned. I would say two little nuggety poos are, A, the debater has to learn both sides, which mm. I think is really valuable, especially now and in high school. These kids have to learn the affirmative side of things and the negative side of things. And they have to be prepared to argue for both. And I think that's really important. The second thing is really about knowing the definition of the resolution. So oh, each word, give me an example. if it was resolved that the United States federal government, they might have to say definition of United States federal government or or the states, you know, definition of the states means just the state of Oregon. And they can define it, but they have to define it. Exactly. And then the other team can Has they to accept it. Yeah. Can they challenge that definition? Absolutely. Yeah. And it's up to the judge to decide which one is relevant or topical. Yeah. It's well, really fun. Well, maybe we should start a speech and debate or mostly debate, because I think that would be more interesting, mm -hmm. although speech would be fun too, speech and debate team for adults. I have heard so many people wanting to do that. A lot of a lot of the coaches are ex-debaters from high school and college, and they would love to start an adult debate, like an intramural debate team. Yeah. Well, one of the things I think about you, and I don't know if it's just the way we were brought up or it's just a coincidence, but it seems like every time I offer an opportunity or you offer an opportunity to have an adventure or learn something new or do something crazy or just experience something, it always seems like you're interested in doing it, not just because you should, but because you really are. And my friend Dan Carter, our friend now Dan Carter, when he invited us to, he was going to host a Dungeons and Dragons event for novices. And yes. So he was going to be the Dragon Master or Dungeon Master. Dr Dungeon, Dungeon Master. Master. <laughs> Dungeon Master. And he did this whole elaborate thing. So I thought anyone would be interested in learning Dungeons and Dragons because you read in business magazines and business articles about how Dungeons and Dragons help people with strategy. So I called a bunch of people and no one really wanted to do it. I mean, some people wanted to hang out and drink and get wear costumes. I was so excited to do it. I Go know. on an adventure. I know. It was so strange that people had an opportunity to learn something, but they were kind of like, no, I'm not interested in that. And that came as a shock to me. It's totally fair. What can you think of that you would not be interested in learning? If you were given the opportunity to become more capable in something, what is something that no matter whether they carved out the time and the resources, that you would still not be interested? Like jumping out of a plane, bungee jumping, something like that. I tried to walk <laughs> on this high, high log one time at a, at a women's camp. And... <laughs> I, I was I, terrified. I hated it. I was like, they were like, just try it. You'll feel so good about yourself. You'll you were so walking proud. on a blog. You were not, you make it sound like you were walking like on a type. You were scooting on your hands and knees, <laughs> practically crying. I hated every second of but it. But that's not, I guess that's being more capable of doing something daring. Yeah. But, but that's scary because you think you might die. But let's just say that it was something like a new skill, like hmm. knitting or 
<laughs> skiing or painting or playing an instrument or gardening, and you could have an opportunity to become more capable. What is something that you would have no interest in becoming more capable? I can't imagine anything that I wouldn't want to try at least one time. I'd have to think about it. Have you it. tried something where you thought, I don't care about becoming more capable? Well, especially the log thing. But um, <laughs> that, I mean, that's just like... A... I mean, math. <laughs> anything that has to do with math. You just, I, just I, decided you don't it, want to become more capable. No, it breaks. I mean, I would love to become more capable, but not enough to work at it. I am not interested in becoming more capable of arts and crafts, like knitting or crocheting. I like it. I can see the appeal. I totally see the appeal, but I see the appeal for other people. I have tried knitting many, many times. Barkley and Dane tried. Yeah, no, Barkley was good. He made a lot of long... Holy scarves. <laughs> Holy scarves. <laughs> but that was actually when he was having... He, when he had his concussion, it was one thing that he could do because he could knit. It was something that didn't involve screens. It didn't involve reading. And that's good to know. Probably yeah. for people that have concussions, that's something that you TBI, can do. TBI, you can knit. When you think about capabilities and what you are more capable of year after year, most people think of the developmental stages of infants to five years old. They have all those books, but it stops at five years old. So where are those what to expect when you're expecting for adults? Shh, don't tell anyone. That's a great idea. What to expect when you least expect it. <laughs> Ever since we have come to understand neuroplasticity, that the brain is composed of what? 86 billion neurons and how early researchers believe that neurogenesis or the creation of new neurons ended very young. So we are on a very fast decline. But now we understand that we can reorganize pathways with our neurons, maybe even grow new ones, but mostly reorganize pathways. Yeah. And when you think about capability, you think about structural plasticity. So the brain's ability to actually change the physical structure as a result of learning. But but the functional plasticity, the brain's ability to move functions when you have a brain damage, Injury, like in the yeah. case of a concussion or TBI, to an area of the brain that is undamaged, that's really where, I think that's really probably where they saw that neuroplasticity is a thing, that we are not a foregone conclusion of shrinking neurons. I know that we do lose neurons, but that's because we can't make neural connections in every single thing as we kind of hone our skills in one area, we probably lose those neural connections in others. But it also speaks to the fact that it's probably important to identify things that you want to be more capable of. Right. To make sure that we are addressing neuroplasticity. Right. Exactly. And I think you're right. Most people think of capabilities in children. I bet you if you took the time listeners to Google capability. The it would first, all be. Would it? You think it would all be I guarantee capable? You. Yeah. You should be able to walk by this stage, roll over by this stage, speak this many words by this stage. But by the time you're 40, <laughs> what should you be more capable of at 45 than you were at 40 or at 35 than you were at 30? Right. That is more of something where you actively choose to define what you're going to be more capable of. This Daniel Levinson had seasons of life theory. And when seasons you... of life. I thought you were going to sing. Is this the little girl <laughs> I cared? So that's sunrise, sunset. Oh, that has not... nothing to. Well, it says seasons turn overnight to sunflowers, but seasons of life. We had been... joy, we had fun, we, we had, had seasons, seasons in the sun. sun. How many songs can you sing with the word season? Oh, in we it? could. 
totally go back and forth. How and back capable and forth. of you are are you of singing songs that have seasons? Oh. Well, this is the seasons of life theory, and he has the pre-adult stage, which is seventeen to thirty-two, the early adulthood transition, thirty-two to twenty-eight, early adulthood stage, twenty-eight to thirty-three, midlife transition, thirty-three to forty. So if you think you're having a midlife crisis now and you're over 40, too late. <laughs> middle... It said transition. It didn't oh, say. Okay. So the middle adulthood stage is 40 to 45 mm-hmm. and the late adulthood transition, 45 to 50. And for me, but not quite you yet, the late adulthood stage. You're in the late over adulthood. Over 50. Absolutely. But I don't feel that I've ever had a midlife crisis. Do you? No. You don't? No. Sonny did at 30. He did? Yeah. What is what what do you mean? He just actually he was telling me that he was watching Married with Children and he was really depressed because he was envious of that relationship. And then he met me shortly after that. But Wait, how old was he when he met you? He was 32, 31. Oh, well you said he had a midlife crisis in his 30s. At 30. Oh, at, at 30. Oh, at 30. Yes. Well, midlife crisis was coined by Elliot James and he referred to the phase between the 40s and the 60s where individuals have anxieties over their accomplishments as they come halfway through life. Now, let me be straight. 60 ain't halfway through life. <laughs> no. As I Unless you're a grandma. Well, she's only 101. It's still oh, that's not true. halfway that's through not life. I think that Told one you of I the... wasn't good at math. <laughs> <laughs> one of the things to overcome midlife crisis might be to identify capabilities that you want to tackle. Yeah. I have a list. Yay. Of the top things people wish they were more capable of in a year. It's the official list. Is it from PU, uh, Prestigious University, or is it from JF, Jennifer Felberg? You all decide that. (laughs) (laughs) A little bit of both. A little bit of both. Perfect. Easy things that we would totally guess, and I'm sure you could guess, speak a new language. I would love to learn Spanish. Oh, me too. Is that the language you would choose if you could choose any language? Absolutely. Why? Because everybody I have dealt with in business and especially in in the entertainment world, I deal with a lot of Spanish speakers. And I would love to be able to converse with all of the people that I haven't been able to converse with. Did you take Spanish? No, I stupidly took French. Yeah, we. I did too. Oui, oui, Philippe. A la piscine. Avec qui? Avec on. On. Oh, on. <laughs> Sorry, I don't speak well, French. Well, I use Duolingo. Have you ever used Duolingo? That, no. It's, a, it's amazing. I'll put all of the references to anything we talk about and any of the research studies we will put in the show notes. So be sure to check the show notes at appliedcuriositylab.com forward slash blog. And each of the episodes can be found in the show notes. So I just want to say that. But Duolingo is a great app. And it's Really, it's free. It's really fun. And I've learned a lot of Spanish, all of which I've forgotten. But it does nag you if you haven't logged on for three days and you feel guilty. Oh, just like that workout app that's like, you haven't worked out in three months. (laughs) Next one is to learn art. Learn some type of art form. What kind of art would you learn if you had to learn a new art I really enjoy drawing, like drawing faces. Are you saying that you would like to become more capable? Yes, absolutely. As a matter of fact, Eric, I work with, is an accomplished artist. 
And so I practice and I'm always asking him for advice and he's always giving me advice on how to do different shapes and how to measure out the dimensions of the face. It's really helpful, but I've gotten a lot better. Interesting. Yeah. I'm not particularly interested in learning to become a better artist. I can't imagine you like standing in front of an easel and painting. I went to one of those paint things where they have that almost naked guy. I was going to say that you just wanted to see the naked person. I did. (laughs) One which I really need to become more capable of is learning Photoshop. (laughs) Learning Photoshop is one of the top things people need to be more capable of. Absolutely. Especially as you get older. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, I see what you mean. I see what you mean. If you can't afford the Botox, the fillers, Lipo. at least make sure that you can Photoshop before you post on socials. Here's one that I think is more difficult now than it was like when I was younger, first learning to, to drive, which is car repair. Oh, right. Because they used to have an auto maintenance course, which is mostly mechanics. And now most cars are all electronic. You have to be an engineer. Yeah, It's a different kind of skill. I mean, I wish that I knew I had some mechanical. I'd be interested in both the old cars with the mechanics and the new cars with the electronics. Just to understand. Some people can't even change a tire. Can you? Yeah, I can change a tire. But I also have AAA, so I've gotten lazy in my skills. I wonder how many of our capabilities that we are offloading to, whether it's getting directions, being more capable of navigating, as we offload these things to our smartphones, are we losing those neural connections forever? I think, especially you brought it up, navigation. Because even sometimes when I think I kind of know how to get somewhere, I'll still fire up Google Maps. Stephen will actually use Google Maps where I know damn well that he knows how to get there. Now, sometimes what I'll do with Google Maps is I will get to where I know it is and then the granularity where I might not know the exact turn, then I'll pull over and fire up Google Maps. I am very cognizant of not using the maps because I was really horrific with navigation. I think my sense of direction was really, really bad, but I've developed it and worked on it as a capability and I don't want to lose that. Yeah. And I remember looking at those Thomas guides. You know, I was really good at reading maps back then. I don't think I'm as good at reading maps now because I I don't have to. Do you think your kids could read a Thomas guide map? Absolutely not. No way. I told Barkley when he moved to Washington, D.C. to spend time looking at a map of the city and placing himself. You know, you're in DuPont Circle. You're in Capitol Hill. You're in all of these neighborhoods so that you have an idea of the city because he's just, he's not going to be driving. He's going to be taking metro. So a lot of it's underground and you won't learn it. I think, what was the thing that we got off on sense of direction? Car repairs. One is self-defense, which I really would love to learn more about self-defense. I like being physical. So that would be fun. Tai Chi. I've taken a couple of Tai Chi classes. Actually, it was recommended to me by a doctor that I take Tai Chi for strengthening my back. But I really want to learn self-defense. I would take Tai Chi with you and we could do push hands. One of my favorite books is Josh Waitzkin's The Art of Learning. Mm -hmm. And he is amazing. So he was the kid upon which the story Searching for Bobby Fischer was based. And he obviously was a chess prodigy. And then he became a national or international push hands, Tai Chi push hand master. Hmm. And now he's doing, I think, jujitsu. But that made me really interested. Now, I've taken Taekwondo. I think because of my brittle bone situation, I have to be careful. But I would be very... Tai Chi, it would be great for your brittle bones. Okay, so let's talk about maybe Tai Chi, but not just the thing in the park. I want to do the push hands. I kind of want to hurt someone. (laughs) Well, that's the thing. Yeah. I mean, to learn self-defense, 
would be really rewarding. Did you watch Game of Thrones? No, don't talk to me about okay. it. I'm going to watch it all when the season's over. What's the next one? Getting better at reading. But I think people want to have the time to read and read faster and read more capacity to read, maybe. I did learn a reading technique. As, as you know, I'm a huge avid reader, yes. both in audio and in print. I did learn something, a little technique. What? A better way to absorb nonfiction. Hmm. is to spend at least a good chunk of time before starting to read the book with the table of contents so that you can see the landscape of how the book is going to be laid out. Because evidently, even some of the best-selling nonfiction books, and they know this because of Kindle, they can see how far you've read, even some of the best-selling nonfiction books don't get read all the way through. Right. But I think that if you take the landscape through the table of contents before you read it, it really is a good, because you kind of get an idea of what you're missing. Interesting. Anyway. I, I have a hard time getting through nonfiction. I'm a big proponent of Audible. Yeah. I, I have sold more people Audible subscriptions than I can even guess. If I was think to think of a graduation gift for high school graduation or college mm. graduation, it would be a year of Audible. Yeah. But again, then it takes away that capability to read. It might be books that you wouldn't read. Like, for example, you said you don't like the nonfiction books, the heavy books, maybe the science books. Like, I want to finish this book on Alzheimer's disease, and mm. it's really, really technical, and it's kind of makes me go to sleep. <laughs> and so I'm thinking, even though I've read maybe half of it, I think I might get it in audio form. So when I'm driving around and I'm not thinking because I have my GPS telling me where to go, exactly. I don't need to think that I can think <laughs> about the contents of the book. One more? One more. And this is a fun one because more people need to be more capable of this. And that is humor. Are people born with the ability to be funny or is it something that you can cultivate? Both. Okay. I, ca I did not know you were going to bring up humor. We didn't really talk about this mm -mm. list ahead of time, but I am very, very interested in being capable of stand-up comedy. I don't know if I would be good at you it. Didn't you do it once? I did at the Apollo Theater. Okay. I performed at the Apollo Theater. <laughs> Start off big time. Yeah. Well, it was yeah, it was a joke of a reason and a joke of a set, but at least I did perform at the Apollo Theater for realsies, although not really. I think the idea of being a stand-up comic and the art of it, just the exquisite art. So many people now are talked into giving free speeches, there, whether you're giving a TED Talk that you can see for free, which I think is wonderful when I'm accessing it. But as a speaker, it devalues Absolutely. the art of crafting words in a, a brilliant way. And I would love to become better at that. Well, it's funny that you say that because one of the events in speech and debate is after dinner speaking, which I know you did in high school. I, I like was a finalist yeah. in that. And the death of disco. I remember. And you went to a stop sign and it and it said, stop, stop disco. Pe people had sprayed disco under all the stop signs because right. people hated disco. And you thought it meant, no, no not to stop and to stop disco, but, but it to meant to stop and, and then, then disco. disco. <laughs> That's exactly right. I remember that. I remember we talked about the nipple-laden chest of every, <laughs> John, you know, the, the medallions hanging from the nipple-laden chest. I can remember so much of that speech. If you were to advise someone who wanted to figure out how to be funnier or how to engage with humor or how to be more humorous or how to see more humor in the world, how would you think about that? What would you tell them to do? Would you tell them to read certain books? Would you tell them to watch certain comedians? Would you just tell them to lighten the hell up? I mean, what would you, how would you advise them? When you were first saying that, I was thinking lighten the hell up. That's funny that you said that. But then I thought about Seinfeld. Mm. And what makes Seinfeld so funny? And The Office. Well, 
But actually, most humor, it's about being curious. Mm. It's like looking at things in a different way and thinking of things not just as it comes to you and then you settle in on it. It's starting to think, well, hmm, what if it was this or what if it was that? And it turns out that's curiosity. Well, that's a good point. Seinfeld particularly. I don't know that all comedians are like that. I mean, Seinfeld was talking about, I remember when I went to see him once and he was talking about how he was showering at his girlfriend's house at the time, is before he was married, and there was some kind of little hair on the side of the shower. And he thought, is that hair a pube and he was concerned that if it was if it was his he didn't want this girl that he was dating to think it was his pube but if it wasn't his pube he didn't (laughs) want to like touch it to get it off because it was gross and that became this whole thing and it's just being curious about the absurdity of the most that's Seinfeld though that's kind of Ellen DeGeneres yeah I mean some of the best comedians and frankly some of the funniest people I know Think of things that seem, it's the mystique and the mundane. Think of things that you would just take for granted in a different way. And it cracks me up. Maybe your advice would be to be more curious about seeing the funny in the mundane and watch acts like Seinfeld. I might suggest to read Amy Sedaris's book. Oh, yeah. A lot of times people say, what's the book you've gifted most of all? And I want it to be something more erudite or something. But the gift that I have straight out, no question, it's called You Like Me. I'll put it in the show notes, but it's Amy (laughs) Sedaris's book on entertaining. I could you, look at you that. You gave me, or at least you let me borrow it and I read it. It was hilarious. Hilarious. Yes. And I also think that Stephen Colbert's books are really, really, really funny. And David Sedaris, Amy's brother. I read all, <laughs> short guy, Amy Sedaris, David Sedaris. Yeah. And I've I seen him live. His... I've read all of his books, except for the most recent ones. I've seen him live. He's kind of funny, but his books. Hilarious. You, me I me that... Talk Pretty One Day. I read that one. Oh I read that God. one. Santa yeah. Land Diaries. Laughed my took us off. So good. So good. All right. If you make a resolution to be more capable of something in the next year, please write in. By the way, thank you for all the people who've written in their uh, answers to the Curiosity Bites. It's really, really fun. So much fun. We're going to do some call outs soon. Mm -hmm. I have one in particular that I want to call out, but I want to wait and make it super special. But if you can write in what you think you want to become or what you're committing to become more capable of in terms of a goal, the more specific you make it, frankly, the harder you make it. So there is a linear relationship between the difficulty of the goal and with specificity and whether you're going to achieve that. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. So what would you, if I had to put you on the spot that you think that you're going to become more capable capable of, and we'll check in with you on the show in the next six months? Oh, you're totally putting me on the spot. I don't know. I would love to be funnier. I would love to. <laughs> you're hilarious. Are you kidding me? <laughs> oh my God. You mean without wine? <laughs> well, That's I, not I think there there's a different kind of humor. I think I'm ridiculous. I don't think I'm humorous. So there's a di- I'm more slapstick. You can humor. be very, very, very funny. You can be. You ridiculous. are my best audience, though. So <laughs> totally, because I kind of know what you're going to say before you even say it. So I laugh. Yeah. How about you? I could commit to a couple of different things. I could commit to taking a stand-up comedy class and really understanding the art of stand-up comedy and becoming better at that. Or I could become better at Spanish. I've started that and stopped that, but I haven't made a real commitment to that. Or I could make a commitment to learning Tai Chi. I did make a commitment to meditation, so I'm continuing on that and I'm going on a silent retreat, if you can believe that. So maybe that's my thing. I'll see if I cannot talk for three days and see if that gets me closer to understanding what everyone's talking about when they're talking about meditation. We have got to talk about that when you get back. Okay. 
We'll do that when I get back. Yes. Because I'm doing that in July. Oh, I can't wait to hear about that. To wrap it up, I do have a sort of fact that Thank I'd like to share. God, I was worried. Which is 73% of people in South Korea who... <laughs> <laughs> 73% of people in South Korea who set goals on capability. <laughs> Want to get better at the Gungam style. <laughs> people in South Korea who set goals on capabilities that they're trying to achieve in a given year are 73% more likely to achieve those capabilities than people in North Korea. <laughs> Thanks for listening, and I really hope you enjoyed the episode. Before you take off, I have a few more things to let you know about. One, you can find show notes for every episode of ACLR and links to all resources mentioned at applycuriositylab.com forward slash blog. It's there that we'll wait to read your answers to each week's Curiosity Bite. Two, in order to avoid missing Curiosity Bitten Conversations, Subscribe to Applied Curiosity Lab Radio on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and all the other spots that podcasts hang out and wait to be discovered. Toss up a review, especially if you have nice things to say. Finally, for all things Applied Curiosity, including information on workshops and your free membership to the Tribe of the Curious, go to AppliedCuriosityLab.com. In the meantime, elevate curiosity.